You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Get your Bibles out. Let's turn to John chapter 15. We're going to be taking a look at verses 1 to 11 today as we uh, finish up the series, Jesus, Who Do You Think You Are? The challengers of Jesus Christ over and over again uh, posed that question to him in some way. Uh, Some way they were standing against him. Some way they were frustrated with the way things were going, with what he was teaching. And, And so they asked him the question in John 8, who do you think you are? And we've been answering the question in this series as we've been taking a look at the I am's that Jesus Christ declared uh, through the book of John. The whole book is really Jesus declaring. It's the declaration of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, one with the Father. Um, But we've been looking at it in the context when Jesus said, I am. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the door. He said, I am the good shepherd. We looked in John 11 when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then last week in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And today in John 15, we take a look at Jesus when he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And this, this text, like the others, has lots to do with our salvation. But I believe this text especially has to do with sustaining uh, God keeping us. And how do we move forward in our walk with God? And so it's about sustaining and persevering in, in difficult times. The message is entitled, In Christ. And the question is, are you? Are you? Uh, firstly, are you in Christ. And then secondly, what difference does that make in your life? So you got your Bibles open? Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to read uh, John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, um, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love." If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Father, again, we come before you with thankful hearts that we can confidently hold your word in our hands and listen to what it says And then God, hear a message that comes right out of the text of what uh, Jesus Christ was saying to uh, his disciples. And Father, we can be challenged by it. We can be stirred by it. As a result, we can be changed as your Holy Spirit works in us, every one of us in this room, whether it's for salvation 
or for our sanctification, God, take your word and do what only you can do in this place. Father, I ask that you would give us ears once again to hear your word. Minds, God, to understand and comprehend it. But then, Lord, hearts and lives to passionately live out because our Savior lives and he reigns and he intercedes on our behalf before you. Oh, Lord, what else could we do but give ourselves to you? And use your word in a powerful way today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. You can take your seats. And uh, we want to dive right into uh, the message. Um, here's what we want to start with again is context. Let's just make sure we understand what's going on here as we take a look at the text. And uh, Jesus in coming to the end of the upper room discourse. Remember, this is the night before all the, the trials will happen. It's in the evening. And then the next day, Jesus Christ is going to be hung on a cross. And he has this last time of teaching, which he takes the part we looked at last week. I am the way, the truth, and the life and takes the part we're looking at today, I am the true vine, and along with a lot of other pieces, he just kind of pours it out for them just before he's taken away, just before he goes to the cross. He uses the image of the vine. Now, that wouldn't have been a surprise to them as, as a good Jews from Israel. They would have understood. Psalm 88, 9 says, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. In Jeremiah 2.21, he said, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Um, in Isaiah chapter 5, we're not going to read it, but you can go through Isaiah 5, and the image of the vine is used there as well. So they were well aware on the spiritual plane for sure of this idea of the vine. But the reality is Jesus is about to turn all of that right on its head for them. Because he is saying, I am the vine. I am the vine. We see that in our next point as we take a look at a focus on the sovereign. Um, as we get into this message, you're going to spend most of your time, if you're taking notes, on the first side of the page. Uh, so don't worry that, oh no, I'm still on the first side of the page. We're going to be here till Jesus comes back. It's not going to be like that. And uh, my wife mentioned that to me last night, so I just let you know that. Um, here's the first thing, the focus on, on the sovereign. And Jesus starts out by saying, I am the vine. I am the vine. They're standing in the upper room. Jesus is about to be taken away uh, from the garden and he's about to hang on a cross and he says to them, I am the vine. They understood grapevines. They understood what they meant. They understood what it meant from their faith. Um, there was a, a large golden vine set as a prominent decoration on the front of the temple communicating the idea that Israel was God's vine. And Jesus is saying, I am the vine. The vine was a recognized symbol for the Messiah. And so Jesus is claiming, I am the vine. I am the Messiah. I am the deliverer. Well, what does the vine do? Well, the vine sustains the branch. The vine holds up the branch. The vine gives life to the branch. 
The vine is sturdy. It is strong. It is the base of support for the branch. And, and so Jesus is about to tell them, you are the branches. You are the branches. I am the vine. I am the one who sustains you and feeds you and gives you life and holds you up. I am the one who is sturdy and strong. You can count on me. That's who I am. Jesus says, I am the vine. And then he goes right on and he says, and my father is the vine dresser. And my father is the vine dresser. So often when we get into this chapter, we want to get down into the, all the other parts that, that we skip this part over. Um, I am the vine dresser. The vine dresser was the one who took care of the vine. And, and Jesus says, that's God's role. God is taking care of all of the branches and all of the needs that there are out there. So let's not skip over that, but let's realize who is the one who is not only the vine, but the one who's caring for the vine. And the picture that Jesus is, is giving us is that that is God. God's the one who cares for you. When you're going through your hard thing, when you're going through your struggle, when you're not sure what life is going to bring next, when you're beginning to wonder, God is the vine dresser. God who is holy, holy, holy is the Lord. God who is merciful. God who is filled with grace. We don't get what we deserve. We get what we don't deserve because, because God is the vine dresser. None of us deserves a relationship with God. None of us deserves any hope. A holy God who is filled with mercy and filled with grace, he is the vine, he is the vine dresser. God who is just and doesn't turn his back on sin. The one who is omnipresent, who knows everything that is going on because he is everywhere. He's omnipresent, he's omniscient, all-knowing, and he is all-powerful. That's the one who takes care of us as the branches. That's the one who guides our lives. That's the one in who our hope, whom we have our hope. The vine dresser cared for the vine. He gave it care for health and for fruitfulness. And Jesus starts out in this part of the upper room discourse. He says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And my father... He's the one who cares for us. He's the one who does all of these things and meets all of these needs uh, for us. Well, that's a focus on the sovereign. The next thing I want to take a look at, comes out of verse 7, but the whole text is, um, is remaining in the word. Remaining in the word. Uh, Jesus Christ in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In verse 7 it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. As people of God, we need to remain in the word, remain in the vine. So let me just uh, take a minute and deal with something out of this text, but it's not the main purpose of our message today. We could come back at it some other time and look at the significance of what it's talking about. But there are two kind of pictures in this text that sometimes people get all wrapped up in, and I'm going to give it like one minute of time because I don't really believe that's what the text is about. But, but because people wonder about it, I'm going to make a comment about it, and that is in verse 2. In verse 2 it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And people are like, well, can you lose your salvation? Can you lose your salvation? No, you can't. 
No, you can't. Scripture teaches that all the way through. I believe that's absolutely um, overwhelming teaching of Scripture. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ. Well, then what does this verse mean? Well, I think it means one of two things. Uh, that verse takes away in the Greek can also mean he lifts up. It means he lifts up. And uh, so as, uh, as Jesus is writing, as he's saying, the vines, the vines that are drooping down, the, vines that, the Lord lifts them up. Why? So they can bear fruit. Um, that's one legitimate interpretation of it. The other interpretation would come out of the next verse we'll see that says that it's not really in the vine. Jesus is using a picture and he says he takes it away. Um, you're never really in the vine. Um, that is for sure what he's saying when you get down into uh, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire, and they are burned. It speaks of judgment. Um, we have two lilac bushes in our backyard. As a matter of fact, it's the only reason we bought the house, I think, because Sue saw those and said, this is our house. This is our house. And uh, every year, these crazy little things grow up right beside the trunk and right through and out the top and their leaves don't look like lilac leaves, but they're right there. And, and what do we do with them? We cut them out and we throw them away uh, because they're not good for the, they're not good for the plant and um, there will be a judgment. Uh, here it says, and they will be burned. And, and I believe that's talking about a people who think they're in, they look like they're in. You wonder if they're in, but they're not in. Um, there are people who come to church who are like that. There are people who come to church who aren't in the vine. And uh, you come to be in the vine, we're going to see that in a minute, by faith in Jesus Christ. But, but if you're not in the vine, one day, one day, you're going to kneel before God. You're going to admit that Jesus Christ was Lord, and he's going to say, I never knew you. And you'll spend eternity separated from God in a place that's called hell. And so there are people that, that they look like they belong at first, but they don't belong. And it's cut out and it's taken, and it's burned. But that's not what this text is about. That's not what Jesus is really trying to get at in this text. He teaches it, he says it, so it's important, but he's really talking about something that's different. He's talking about abiding, and he's talking about fruitfulness. Now, that word abide is found some 10 times in these few verses. Abide, 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 abide. If you find one word 10 times in 11 verses, you can be pretty sure that's what the text is about. I am the vine, and you need to abide in the vine. That's what this text is about. I am the vine, and you need to abide in the vine. You need to stay with or stay in or stay a part of the vine. That's what Jesus is calling his disciples to. Can you imagine what's going on in their minds probably 24 hours, 36 hours after this teaching? Jesus is in the tomb. You need to abide in the vine. See, as I've said all the way through this, this series, it's so easy for us because we know the end of the story. But they're wrestling through this and trying to understand it. He's saying, you need to abide in me. You need to abide in me. And a few short hours later, he's dead and he's in a tomb. And then a few short hours after that, he is risen and he is alive. We need to abide. Well, how does that happen? Uh, two things I want to talk about. And then the application of it is really bearing fruit. We abide by being in Christ in salvation. That's the gospel. 
That's the good news. That's the, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the, there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. See, that's how we begin to abide. We begin to abide when we believe in Jesus Christ as the answer to man's sin problem and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ the Lord. Abide. Abide. I got an email in the last uh, two days from uh, a young man, an adult man, who has been coming to our church and um, has really been challenged in the areas of the gospel but he never trusted Jesus Christ. He was looking for a special voice. He was waiting for a special vision. He was looking for something that would just make it all make sense to him. And uh, I got an email from him in the last two days that says, uh, tonight I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ the Lord. Right? Amen. Right. See, that's what the Lord does. That's how you begin to abide. That's how you begin to abide. And he was looking for something mystical, and God was doing something practical in his life, and it says you just have to believe. You have to understand who Jesus is. You have to understand what he's done. He said in the little email he sent to me that, um, so I've heard you say in church there are many ways to Jesus, but there's only one way to God. Right? If you were to do our testimonies around this room, people come to Jesus Christ from all kinds of different experiences and all kinds of different backgrounds and all kinds of different things. But the reality is there's only one way to God, and that is through the vine, through Jesus Christ. He put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so my challenge for each of us in the room today is, that, is to answer the question, what have I done with Christ? If I put my faith, if I put my trust, do I understand that Jesus Christ is the one way to God? You do that simply by accepting the fact that you're a sinner separated from God. Jesus Christ is the right and righteous and only payment for your sin. You transfer your trust from what you've been trusting in to Jesus Christ alone and you will be saved. That's how we begin to abide. We begin to abide when we are in Christ in salvation. We continue to abide, to stay with, to be a part of through, through our sanctification. It means becoming holy. It's about growing up in Christ. It's not a perfect science for us. It's something we wrestle with and stumble forward in in our lives and hard times come and we wrestle with it. Um, see, the neat thing is there's a, there's a, 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 a heavenly level of sanctification where that work in one way is done. It's complete. But there's the reality for us in our faith, in our walk, that that's an everyday journey of being sanctified, becoming more like Jesus Christ. And when we stumble and when we fall down, we get back up and we confess our sin and we get right with God and we move forward. Not what we were, not what we shall be, not even what we will be, but not what I was. And it's so cool to see the way God sanctifies us and grows us. And that's how, how we abide. He tells us to abide. Look down in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you 
unless you abide in me. And neither can you unless you abide in me. Back in verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. We talked about that. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He prunes. So we want to talk about um, bearing fruit because that's the next word that's repeated over and over and over again in the text. It's, it's there like six times. So abiding, foundational truth, Jesus is the vine. Next truth, you need to abide in the vine. And how do we do that or how is that demonstrated? It's demonstrated by bearing fruit. But the reality is in verse 2, it says that all of the branches, all of the branches... And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. You understand that, church? We're all getting some pruning. All God's kids get it. It's for all of us. It's so that we can bear more fruit. And that's why we get some pruning. I think sometimes in our lives, we, uh, we get a little nervous when we think about that. Um, here's what pruning is. Pruning means to cut away the dead or overgrown branches or stems, especially to increase, increase fruitfulness and growth. There's pruning because it cares for the vine. It increases fruitfulness. It protects from disease. In pruning, something is cut. And so here's what most of us think when we read that verse. This is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. And I believe there is pruning in our lives that hurts. But we need to remember Jesus is drawing a picture. He's drawing a picture for them to understand. And so when we prune those lilac bushes in our backyard, I have never heard a branch go, ow, that hurt. Right? It's a picture. He's talking about what needs to happen in our lives so that we can be more fruitful in our lives. And all pruning doesn't involve pain. Sometimes it's just God reorganizing our lives and priorities in our lives and things we need to do differently and he's growing us up in Christ and all that's part of pruning as well. Now believe me, if you're disobedient, if you're not walking according to God's word and pruning comes, it's gonna hurt. It's going to hurt a lot. So stop being disobedient and stop living in sin. And stop giving yourself over to that stuff and you'll, you'll stay away from that kind of pruning. The parts of the branch that don't need pruning don't get pruned. And so uh, pruning, pruning might be uncomfortable for us. A pruning might even hurt a little bit for us. But pruning cleanses the branch it purifies the branch it revolves it results in a healthy branch it results in fruitfulness that's why God prunes us God prunes us don't fight it don't fight God's pruning pruning is for your good and for God's glory pruning is for your good and for God's glory God prunes the branches. The vine dresser prunes the branches so that we can be more fruitful for the Lord. So they can be more uh, helpful in the work of God. Because for whatever reason God chose to do it this way, we are his ambassadors, according to 2 Corinthians 5. And so there's going to be pruning for all of us. But the pruning has a purpose. And it's a purpose so that we will bear more fruit. So that we can bear more 
more fruit. Well, what, what is the fruit? What is the fruit? Um, I'm going to give you a list of five or six things real quick here, but um, Scripture teaches us some things about fruit. There's a, in Galatians 5, 23, there's a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. The fruit, not the fruits, it's a fruit. It's one fruit. That's what we, what we look like when we are in Christ. All of these things growing together, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Is that fruit being demonstrated in your life? Does that list demonstrate the things that, that you look like? It should, because if it doesn't, you need to read the other verses around it, and that's probably the fruit you have in your life. And so he says, uh, the Lord prunes us so we can bear fruit through the Spirit. How about the fruit of evangelism? John 4, 35 and 36 says, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. The fruit of evangelism, the fruit of sowing the seeds of the gospel. Here's the cool thing about that guy who put his faith in Jesus Christ this week. This journey started for him many, many months ago. Um, he sat in Pastor Ed's office probably a year ago, and Pastor Ed shared the gospel with him. And he wasn't ready. He was looking for something. And then uh, a friend of his introduced me to him and he came into my office and I sat down with him and I shared the gospel with him. And he wasn't ready. And then one of the other young adult men in our church uh, took him out and spent time with him and shared the gospel with him and he wasn't ready. And then God was doing the work in his heart. And God was doing the work in his life. And this weekend, as far as I know, by himself, on his own, put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But each one of the people, and I'm sure there were many others who had a part in his life, were part of the fruit of evangelism. I love the way that verse in John 4 ends. It says, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Together. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of evangelism, the fruit of the Word of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. You find the Word here in this text, uh, already you are cleansed because of the Word that I have spoken to you. What does the fruit of the word look like coming out from you? Have you talked to anyone in the last week, two weeks, month, outside of your church friends, where you use the word of God? It's the word that changes hearts, and it's the word that changes lives. I can try and convince somebody uh, for the rest of my days that they need Jesus Christ. Guess what? It's going to be the word that's going to do the work, that's going to change the person. The fruit that comes from the Word of God. The Word of God is a cleansing agent. It condemns of sin. It inspires holiness. It promotes growth. It reveals the power that's required for, for victory. 
Well, what about the fruit of prayer? The fruit of prayer. It was so cute to watch the kids as they talk about what they pray about and what they think about. And, and um, sometimes our prayer lives are kind of like that. We kind of looked at that and you kind of go, ooh, that's a little bit superficial, isn't it? Our prayers are often like that. So be careful when you pick on the six-year-old when their prayer life is probably a lot like our prayer life. Um, but, but look what it says in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, here it is, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Here's the unfortunate part. People take the second half of the verse and they make that the thing. Ask whatever you want and God's going to do it for you. It's just like a little genie and you rub the little side of the thing and, and you're going to get whatever you want. That's not what the verse even says. It says... If you abide in me and my words abide in you. In um, Psalm 37, 4 and 5, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You want a surefire way to get what you want from God? You delight yourself in the Lord. You delight yourself in the Lord. A surefire way to get what you want from God? You get what you want from God when you abide in him. And his word abides in you. I wrote it like this. When you want what God wants, you get it every time. Every single time. When you want what God wants. But see, we want what we want. And when we want what we want, you don't, you don't have to be guaranteed, you're not guaranteed that at all. As a matter of fact, you can expect that not to happen. But when you're seeking to be in tune with who God is and what he's done for you and what he desires for you, you'll get it every time. And the fruit of prayer. There are lots of people who are praying for that man who trusted Christ. Everyone who prayed a prayer for his salvation. Everyone. Everyone seen the fruit of prayer. Seen the fruit of prayer. And so what can you look back at what you've prayed about over the last two weeks, three weeks, one month, that you can go back and say, we need to do this regularly and remember what God has done and remember what God has done and remember what God has done. You'll bear fruit. You'll bear fruit. The fruit of prayer. Um, how about the fruit of love? Verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in, in his love. He didn't say, I love you like a, a mother loves her baby. I love you like a husband loves his wife. Or I love you like a soldier loves his buddy. Or even the way an addict loves his drugs. He said, I love you like God loved me. Jesus loves us the way that God loved, God loved him. A love that has no beginning, a love that has no end, a love that is close and personal, a love that you cannot measure, a love that is unchanging. And Jesus says this, you want the fruit of this? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's how you are to love one another. Why? Because it shows your fruit. Really, does it say that in the text? Here's what it says in the text. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. They will see the fruit if you have love for one another. And so who's the person you've given up on? Who's the person you're done loving? 
And then ask yourself the question, is God done loving them? Is God done caring for them? Maybe that's the reason you came to church today. Because you need to be reminded about the fruit that comes from loving and not giving up and trusting God. You can't change anyone's heart. The Bible says, best as you can, live at peace with all for the fruit of love. The fruit of love. Two more real quick. The fruit of obedience are found in verse 10. The fruit of obedience. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love my, and my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The fruit of doing what God's word says to do. You want to demonstrate you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Then we do what God's word says to do. It's the fruit of obedience. Here's another one. The fruit of our conduct the fruit of our conduct. If anyone has ever said of you, if that's what a Christian's like, then I don't want to be one. That demonstrates conduct that's not honoring to the Lord. But how does our conduct lift up the name of Jesus Christ? We are his ambassadors. We are his representatives on the earth. We are his mouthpiece, as it were, in this world. 1 Corinthians 15, says, Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Um, uh, who are you hanging out with? Uh, how are they influencing you? What difference is it making for the gospel? Are you bearing fruit from your life, from your conduct, or is your conduct smearing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in whom you claim to abide? The fruit of godly conduct. I don't believe that Christians should have any comfort that they're saved if we don't have fruit. It's the way you know. The people who abide, the Lord prunes. He lifts them up. Why? So they will be fruitful. We're called to be people who bear fruit. So when you look at your life, what's the fruit? What's the fruit? And about this point, if there isn't much or isn't any, or you're walking in disobedience to God, you're on the, who do you think you are telling me this stuff? Don't you judge me. Don't you judge me. I'm not judging you. God's word judges. God's word judges. I'm just a fruit inspector. I'm just a fruit inspector. That's all I can see. That's what we see in each other. And we need to start by looking at ourselves for what is the fruit and what difference is it making? How is God being glorified? How are we demonstrating we are a part of the vine? Well, the last thing we want to take a look at is in the last part of it's I'm satisfied in the result. We want to be satisfied in the result of abiding in the vine. What does that look like? Well, in verse 8, it says this. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Uh, people who are bearing fruit prove to be disciples. Well, but what happens? When we bear fruit, God is glorified. That's what we're going for. That's what we're going for. To glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commission. That a Great Commandment. That's the story of our church. That's what we're going for. We're going for the glory. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's what we're going for. 
That's what we're going after. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. John Piper says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And so when we're bearing fruit, the product is God's glory. God is getting the glory. That man who trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior, God's glory. God's glory. That thing that's changed in your life, the things you used to be so after, you're not after anymore because God has given you a whole new set of priorities in your life. God's glory. God's working. And so here's the question. Are you satisfied when God is glorified or are you only satisfied when you are glorified? Are you satisfied when God is glorified or are you only really satisfied when, good job, buddy, good job, way to be, oh, so great to see the Lord working in you and using you. And I think we should encourage each other. We need to spur each other onto love and good deeds and we need to help each other on the journey. But are you looking for the pat on the back? Or are you looking for the glory of God? Satisfied when God gets the glory. Satisfied when God gets the glory. Will the man who presented the gospel to that fellow who trusted Christ this weekend, will he look at that and go, oh, how come I didn't get to pray with him? How come I didn't get to lead him to Christ? Or will he be I am just so thankful. I got to be a piece of the puzzle and look what the Lord has done. Not a notch, not a notch for me, not a check mark on my list, but the fame of the Lord, the glory of God. That's what we are to be satisfied in. That's what we are to be going after. We're to be satisfied because God is glorified. And then the last thing is in verse 11. And look what he says. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Your joy may be full. The result of being a follower of Jesus Christ, abiding in the vine, is God getting the glory and you living a life that's filled with joy because God would even take someone like me and save me and the God would take someone like me and use me in any way. Thank you, Lord. It's awesome what you've done. Joy is not some happy feeling that goes away. Or help all the Toronto Maple Leaf fans in the room, right? That's not what joy is. That's not what joy is. Joy is a supernatural delight. It's a supernatural delight in the person and the purpose and the people of God. We see God working. We see God using us. We are focused on him. My joy may be in you, Jesus says. Not joy concerning me or joy derived from me or my joy over you, but my joy, properly speaking, his own holy exaltation, the joy of the Son is the consciousness of God working in you through his love and his caring and your joy is full. I'm satisfied because God is glorified and I'm filled with joy as a result of it. Well, Jesus was asked the question, who do you think you are? 
And he answered it in this series by all of the I am's that we look at. He finishes with this some and he says, I am the true vine. All that stuff. In the, no, no, I am the true vine. Uh, you need to abide. You need to abide in me. And so who do you think you are? That's the question for us. Who do you think you are? As a result of being here today, as a result of hearing God's word, uh, who do you think you are? I read this uh, quote. It was obviously written by someone a long time ago. Um, so when he uses the word sap, for those of you who don't know, that's the stuff inside a, a tree. That's where we get our maple sugar from. comes out of the sap and all that's what feeds the branches. So here's the context. All our sap, all of our sap, all of our food and safety is from Christ. The bud of a good desire, the blossom of a good resolution, and the fruit of of a good action, all come from that. They all come from him. And Jesus says, I am the vine. He is the source, the security, the health, and the hope. So who do you think you are? You need to abide. You abide by trusting Christ in salvation, and then you trust, you abide by growing up in sanctification. So as I started this message, what difference does it make? What difference will it make for you when you walk out of this room, when you go to work tomorrow, when you spend time with your family this week? The demonstration of abiding will be the fruit that you bear. So what God's called you to today, what has he laid on your heart? Get that right before him before you walk out the door and walk out with a renewed zeal to live for the glory of God, for the fame of his name our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge from it. Thank you for the picture that Jesus gives us that uh, he is the vine, we are the branches. And Lord, I am not the vine. I am not the source of strength. I am not the source of life. You are in Jesus Christ. Lord, would you give us hearts and passions to more and more and more each day passionately desiring to abide more and more in who you are, sold out for you, a world that is hopeless, a world that is going so bad, so fast. We have you, Christ. We have you to abide in. Lord, would you teach us? What was the thing in the fruit that we need to take from this message? What's the thing that I need to do as a result of what I have heard today? That I would demonstrate the life of Christ in me. Do that work in us, each one of us, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.